Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. Good morning, good afternoon, uh, good evening, wherever, whatever time of day it may be where you're listening from, I hope it's a good one. Uh, I am back here in my office and getting ready to knock out this episode with you guys. I think this is going to be a um, a topic that can hit home for a lot of us in the emergency services, in the military, and especially for the spouses. Um, we just, last episode I talked about, well, not last episode, because by the time you listen to this one, this should be episode eight. So if you reference back to episode four, which I believe was communicating through trauma, we'll kind of piggyback on that a little bit to talk about why it is uh, why it is difficult for a lot of spouses to understand where uh, why we in emergency services military have a lack of communication or um, why we're why we're just hard to get through to and why we really don't like talking about things that we see. And I think that this title of this episode is, is appropriately titled The Things We See. Um, I'm fortunate to, I put a feeler out on Instagram through my stories. And I know this is difficult, but I asked everybody, you know, if they wanted to share, uh, if they were in these fields, if they wanted to share any traumatic experiences with me. And I know that's uncomfortable. Uh, trust me, I've shared, I've shared a lot of my life with complete strangers, um, a lot of very personal intimate details. And I know those are very private matters. So I can't thank those of you enough who, who are trusting me to tell just a piece of your story for the greater good. So we can hopefully communicate with one another a little bit better. So we have a better understanding of what it is that we go through, why we feel the way that we feel. Um, so yeah, thank you for trusting me with this information. I, I was bombarded with uh, with DMs in my Instagram account, and it honestly made me feel very very proud that you guys trusted me like that. Because look, I know a lot of you know me just through social media. You don't know me personally. I'm just a dude on the other end of a screen. But for you to open up and tell me some of the things that some of you guys that told me, and I can't, I can't tell all of the stories because. We, like I say, if you've been listening to this episode, to my podcast anyway, long enough, you'll know I try to keep everything, you know, relatively uh, condensed 35 minutes, 45 tops usually. Um, so I can't tell every story, but I picked, I picked a few of them that impacted me. And I think that, uh, I think that 
I think they're going to impact you as well. Um, before I get into these stories, though, I do want to do want to talk about this. I received a, um, a DM this morning, and a gentleman who's extremely supportive of what I do, and I appreciate that, made a suggestion that I stay on topic longer. Um, he said that the, the, the information is really good, it's informative, but it's just too quick, and he would like to see me stay on topic longer um, so they can get more info. And, and I get it, man. I really do. But that's not what I do here. And I explained that in the very beginning. I don't want to alienate any portion of my audience. If I only have two people that listen to this and one person is, it's relating to one person, but the other person it's not relating to, I don't feel like I'm doing my job. I want to relate to everybody that listens to this. So what I try to do, I try to stay on one topic for a few minutes and then switch gears and go to another topic, therefore creating a melting pot of information. And I always, always, always try to leave everything open-ended so we can get back to a topic that we discussed previously. I don't want to talk about one thing for three hours straight, run it into the ground and just move on. I'd like to be able to come back to it at a later date in time. Case in point, today, episode eight is going to relate to episode four. Uh, and that's the episode that he was asking about. So I'm just kind of just trying to give you guys some insight on what I do and why I do. I don't want to be like every other podcast in the world. I want this to be different. I just, I want to have your attention for 30 to 35 minutes. And I want you honestly to want to want to listen to it again next week. And I don't want to run it into the ground. So thank you for the suggestion. Um, but this is what I do and this is why I do what I do. Um, this episode is also on YouTube, so episodes, um, I believe it's going to be six, seven, and eight, something like that, are going to be on YouTube. Uh, if you want to watch the exciting behind-the-scenes stuff, go to YouTube and check it out. It's honestly just me and sitting in my office. The same thing I do on Instagram when I do my Instagram Live. Um, dude, we did a 90-minute Instagram Live this morning. I missed my gym workout. I, I actually went, but I went late because I was on, we were on there talking shit with, uh, with my friend, that I'm going to my best friend that I'm going to have on the show at some point when I can get all the schematics worked out on all this. But for now, I'm just having fun by myself. Um, if you do watch on YouTube, you can see my new, my new shirt that I, I that I wear. It's the one, uh, so my promo shirt's the one that I wear on stage when I perform all, all over the country. It's the same shirt I've always, always worn. It's just my no one gets left behind t-shirt that I designed, uh, about eight years ago. But we had a new uh, front logo designed with my my TH initials, and it has the shield, the uh, like a shield with an American flag in it with nine stars, and those nine stars represent my nine friends who were killed in the line of duty, June eighteenth, two thousand and seven. I uh, I also proudly, if you're watching YouTube, you can see that tattoo right there. A lot of people wonder it's an American flag with nine stars. So that's uh, that's the concept behind my my logo. Um, I'm also excited because, dude. I leave. I just got back from Birmingham two weeks ago, a week ago. And now I'm off to do the Orlando Fire Conference in Orlando, Florida for three days. I'm going to do a motivational speech in the morning uh, for the opening ceremony. And uh, then that evening, I get to do a comedy event for my brother and sister firefighters. So excited. Um, I have a note here before I get into the episode. And it says, sit to pee. And I don't know if we've talked about this on previous episodes, but... I feel like it needs to be talked about. Um, I'm all about being a man's man. I love being a man's man. It's one of my favorite things in the world. And I realized a long time ago, being a man doesn't mean being a tough guy anymore. And I, I you know, I 
We talked on Instagram this morning on that live about uh, fake tough guys, and that's one thing that annoys me. So I'll just put it out there. Um, I sit to pee, um, definitely, and, and I think it's one of the most manliest things that a, a man can do, a gentleman, if you will, is sit down to pee, you know, because you're not getting the toilet dirty. You don't have to leave a mess for somebody else to clean up. The cool thing is you don't have to wash your hands because you don't touch anything, really, unless Unless you have long balls and they go in the water and you got to hold them up, then you need to wash your hand. You got to do that that J hook with your finger and like kind of hook up underneath the uh, the old satchel. <laughs> um, yep, we went awkward right off the rip. Um, yeah, I think. The, but the weirdest place I think I ever sat to pee. I talked about this this morning. Was at a um, was at a NASCAR race in those uh, trough urinals, and the redneck boys didn't really like that too much because they were kind of like, oh, "What was this motherfucker doing?" sitting down in this urinal peeing uh, just kidding i didn't do that um that's just where my brain went sorry it's been a rough morning here we go you guys ready we're going to get into the things we see on this job and also i open this up to it's not just emergency services it's not just the military and i don't want to exclude anybody from trauma if you've experienced trauma then your story relates as well um, I just happen to come from those backgrounds and most of my trauma comes from those backgrounds. So that's where I speak from generally, but as a civilian, I've also experienced trauma. So I get it. You have just as much right with your story as everybody else. We don't, like I say, trauma stories aren't a competition. It's not about who's been through more and who overcame the most. This is just us trying to understand one another and hopefully motivating one another and helping one another. I got to get rid of this cheap ass led light that i have because i know the youtubers are gonna go crazy with it flickering anyway i'm gonna glance at notes here because i had so many stories and i just want to make sure i get these things right when we're talking about trauma you got to think about that when you experience certain levels of trauma your brain gets completely rewired. It's not the same brain. You are no longer the same person that you used to be. I don't care how much you want to fight it. It changes you. You can you can be normal, I guess, in life or get to seek some kind of normalcy. But something inside of you happens. And I'm not a damn doctor, so I don't know all the terminology. I'm just, I just know that you get rewired. And I guess relating that like try to make that relatable like imagine for a spouse let's say somebody that hadn't experienced trauma that their spouse has to try to get a better understanding imagine if you've never experienced trauma but you went to a doctor's appointment and you went in and when you were in there they just completely open you up and they do something to you then when you that when you leave there you're the same on the exterior, but something on the inside has completely changed. And I don't know if that's a good reference or not. That's just what I was thinking about. It almost, it's almost like going into brain surgery and coming back the same, same person, but different. And I hope that makes sense for spouses. When we experience these things that we go through on these jobs that we do, it's, it's never, I don't, I don't think it's an immediate, unless it's like something very catastrophic, that there's an immediate change to somebody's behavior, but I think it's, it's it happens over a period of time. The longevity of the career it desensitizes us to 
life to normalcy. I like to, um, I've, when I, I've spoken about this before, when I've done motivational speeches or, or awareness speeches, and when you look at the military and you think about those guys and girls that have to go overseas in combat, unfortunately they see and do some horrific shit, right? And then when they come back, they're reintroduced to society, but they're a changed human being. I promise you. They're not the same person. They're a shell of who they used to be. And when they come back to society, they're expected to follow society's rules. They're expected to fit in. They're expected to be exactly who they used to be. And there's no acceptance with the change that has happened within them. It's like they're trained to fight. They're trained to kill. They're trained to do all these horrific things. And they go over there selflessly and sacrifice their selves, their mental health, their physical health. And they do that and they come back. And when they flip the fuck out on somebody at a party for, or a social gathering for being, for being different. Sorry, I got a notification. Um, they're not accepted. People, people don't understand it. Look, it's like, like, look at a pit bull and I'm not putting pit bulls down. I'm just, I'm going to use this as a reference because I'm a huge dog lover. I love all dogs, right? They are my, I'm, that's my creature. But in general, when people see pit bulls, they think, oh shit. Okay. Except pit bull lovers, like pit bull lovers will tell you the complete opposite and that's fine. But look at the fighting dogs. All right. Let's, let's take that out of, out of the equation. Let's look at the fighting pit bull. Let's look at those dogs that the pit bulls, not the family dogs. Let's look at the pit bulls that were trained to fight. They were trained to kill. They were put in those scenarios in dog fights for years or months, whatever it may have been. And they were viciously killing people left and right or killing other dogs left and right. And then when you take that dog, that same killer ass dog with that killer instinct, that's what he knows. And then you take him to the dog park and take him off the leash. What the fuck do you think he's going to do? He's not going to sniff ass. He's not going to get along well with the other puppies because they're not the same. They are they are the same creature, but they are completely two different fucking entities, I promise you. And that is what happens with these military service folks and or emergency services people who experience trauma on a daily basis. They're integrated back into society and, and, and they feel like outcasts. And I'm speaking from this from my point of view. I'm not speaking for everybody because I've certainly been there. I don't feel normal when I'm around other people who are not like me. I believe I've spoken about this. It's like I don't feel comfortable around social gatherings where there's doctors and lawyers and that's all it is. And there's nobody like me. I have fucking jack shit in common with these people. Nothing. But you put a bunch of military folks around me. You put a bunch of emergency services people. You put some fucked up civilians who have really been through some shit. And we can have great conversation all day long. And we probably won't even talk about the horrible experiences. It's just because our wiring is... Is, is generally the same. We're wired differently than most people. 
And I hope that comes across correctly. Like I say, I could talk about this for two hours, but I don't want to run it to the ground because I want to get into some of these stories and talk about how these stories can completely rewire somebody. I actually just got chills because of the story that I'm going to tell. And this is a follower from Instagram. This, um, this supporter of mine is a dispatcher. And you know, we, we in the emergency services, we always get the praise. The dispatchers, they never get the praise that they deserve. They are the first, absolute first line of defense in all of this. And they're the first people that you come come running to when you have a when you have a problem. The phone doesn't ring at the fucking fire station and we help you and we paint the picture for ourselves. You have to deal with a lady or a gentleman who's in an office, usually no fucking windows. They're in there for 12 hours at a time, taking multiple emergency calls, juggling those at one time, not getting to take lunch, not getting to take dinner breaks, nothing because the fucking phones don't stop ringing and it's emergency after emergency after emergency. Okay. I can't, I can't explain how difficult that must be, nor would I try to explain how difficult that must be because I've never done it. I couldn't imagine. See, when we, the boots on the ground, the emergency services, when we're going to a call, the dispatcher is painting us a beautiful picture of what we're going into or they're trying to, and they're trying to use the person on the other end of the line to paint them a picture. So it's all getting relayed to us. Can you imagine how difficult that must be in an emergency situation where you can't see the person you're talking to? You can't be there to read their body language. You just hear screaming in the phone and you're supposed to be able to help this person. I've never had to do that. Every, every emergency scene I've ever been on, I've been there hands on. I've been able to see whatever it is they're seeing. I've been able to grab people and push them back. I've been able to, um, to do that. I've never had to give a mother instructions on how to give CPR to her dead child laying in front of her. That's what the story I'm going to tell you is. I had a dispatcher tell me um, about a call that she worked with a kid that drowned at a pool. And this one, this one hits home because I've told you in a previous episode, I've had to go to that call before that. Not, not the same one, but a call like this. And she, she had to work that call. And how do you give instructions to a mother to give CPR to her dead child and try to keep her calm in the same token? There's a thing called fog of war in the military Emergency services, that's when all chaos is breaking out around you and you can't make clear, concise decisions because of the fog of war. But we don't, we don't, we don't have that luxury. We have to be able to make clear, concise decisions. Now I think about that. I think about having to, having to be in that seat, trying to give instructions to this lady. I've been on the phone with my dad. He's old school. He doesn't get technology. I have tried to give him instructions on how to check his fucking email and I have lost my corn over on the other end. I mean, to the point where I wanted to hang up on him and that's to check an email. Now imagine that 
that chaos, that fog of war, trying to to relay that message to that mother. I can't explain how difficult that must be. And then after her shift, after this dispatcher shift, she's a mother. And this isn't just one dispatcher. There's millions of dispatchers across this country have done this. Then they got to go back home to their family. And they walk in the door and the first thing they're met with, oh, and by the way, on that scene with that drowning um, child, there were siblings present in the background screaming. Which is why I tell you about this next point when you come, when she comes home to her family and then her kids are acting the ass and getting out of hand and they're screaming. She's not going to come home and tell them about that call. But what do you think that makes her brain do? It sends her right back to that call. And you start reliving that call. You can't escape it. You're in those emotions. So what does that mom do? She tries to go into the back, get a little peace and quiet for herself probably, try to remove herself from the situation, and she can still hear the screams of her children. And now she's imagining those, her children, being that child. I'm telling you, you can't escape this shit. And then away from her family, she's probably breaking down and crying in a fucking dark closet in the back of her house somewhere. But then she has to shake it off and wipe the tears off so she can go make dinner and, and, and appear normal. How do you communicate that with your fucking family? You can't do that. What if she tries to call a friend? Tells her husband, look, I just got to get away for a minute. I had a rough day at work. I'm going to step out of the house, go call my friend. And she calls her friend and her friend has kids and her friend's kids. Now she's on a phone just like she is at work. And her friend's kids are in the background screaming. Where do you think her mind's going to go? I'm telling you, you can't escape this shit. Spouses, you got to understand. We are changed human beings, but that's no excuse for us not to communicate with you. We have to, in the individual home, find a way to communicate with you. Because if we don't, all we're going to do is tear the whole family apart, tear the whole relationship in half. And that's not fair to anybody. Yes, we chose this line of work. We volunteered to do this, go into this profession. I think a lot of us, naively so, not realizing the depths of what we were going to get into and the things we would see. But it's there, and it gets us, and it gets a vast majority of us. Half the time, you probably have a spouse who's suffering, and you don't even know it because they will not talk to you about it. And that's not healthy because at some point, they're going to need help, I promise you. I'm going to turn a page. I don't like I don't like you guys hearing me flipping pages and shit. So, what I want to do now is I got I got a couple of um I need to go to my Instagram inbox here. I'm going to try to do this without hanging up on the um recorder. And I'm going to go to a story. Nope. Hang on. I got to click on this guys. All right. And I'm going to tell you more stories like that. And we're going to get long-winded. This shit needs to be said. That's all there is to it. So I had a gentleman. He's a fireman. And I'm going to read what they sent in to me. Um, I'm going to try. I might paraphrase some of it. Some of it might run on. I don't want to, I don't want to drown anything out, but I want to paint the picture for you. This gentleman wrote, My first traumatic experience on the volunteer fire department was on the first automobile accidents that I responded to. Where I used to live, there was a dangerous intersection that crossed a divided highway, and I used to live close to it. 
We were an all-volunteer department, so I was outside working in the yard, and I heard the squealing brakes and the thud of the vehicles crashing. Now think about that. He heard that happened. Or heard that happen. Excuse me. Didn't need to put a D on it. All right. So as I was outside working in the yard, I heard a squealing brakes. I heard that happen. I knew what happened, and then my pager went off. I was the closest one to the fire station, so I got there as quick as I could. And when I got out... Within, I got there within five minutes of the page going out. The chief directed me to go to the vehicle with two senior citizens in the car. The husband was driving and his wife was in the passenger seat. Their vehicle was hit broadside on the driver's side. She was crying and kept asking how her husband was. She was covered in blood, mud, glass, you name it. He was dead. Above half of his body was ripped in half. So his upper torso was just was gone. Okay. This, this guy just doing fucking yard work, he's cutting grass now. All of a sudden, he's standing there in front of a, a, a dead guy with his wife next to, to him, covered, covered in his blood, her blood, and his upper torso is ripped in half. If you've never been to an upper torso decapitation, it is horrible. Most traumas are horrible, but if you've never seen the inside of a human body laying all over the place, you don't escape that. That's not something you just clean up from, go to Denny's, and, and just never think about again. It will be with you. Think about that lawnmower. I would. I, I can't even imagine. Like This guy's intestines lay in there. Every time you go to pull start the lawnmower, I would think about that. This intestines being the, the string. You, you know what I mean? And that's what trauma does. Trauma will flash you back to some crazy times. Be in the middle of an argument with a spouse and they have a flashback. I promise you, they are going to be, and it's not going to be good. And it's not an excuse, but you got to think about these things. You got to understand your spouse. Your spouse needs to open up to you about their triggers. And I think you can avoid a lot of the bullshit that we go through in relationships. I think a lot of it can be avoided if you understand the associated triggers with your spouse. So, this gentleman goes on to say that he was in the military. He was uh, he was a tanker in the military. He had some experience in the military, and he's seen some things. But um, this scene was different. And he was he talks about vomiting from the scene of the call, where it was it was that bad that it causes your body. You see this in the movies, right? I've I've personally seen this happen on scenes where something inside of you cannot handle what is going on. And you, you lose all bodily fun- function, then it comes out through your mouth. Um, he said, my fellow firefighters were understanding. They all did counseling uh, within days, and it did help. So that's good on them. They actually you know, had the fortitude to step up and say, hey, we need to go talk about this. We need to do something, take care of one another. However, if you don't continue that maintenance, that's the key. You can't just do this and forget it, and it's gone. My therapist, actually, I had a meeting with her not long ago, and she said, Travis, do you, do you still need therapy? Do you still want to come? You seem like you're doing what I said. Hell yes, I want to come because it's maintenance for me. I don't ever want to stop, and I'm not too proud to say that. I'm not a weak man for doing that. I know what my weakness is, and I think that's my greatest strength, and we have to build on that. This guy said, he went on to say, he would have nightmares for months 
And his nightmares were that he would wake up to this elderly woman asking how her husband was. I would even say, I mean, this is the, this is the real deal. This is the truth. These are individuals trusting me with their stories. This isn't mine. This isn't me talking about my bullshit. These are real stories coming from very, very real people. Thank you for allowing me to tell that. Um, I, I, I know this is probably hard to listen to and, and, and people that are just like just getting on board with this, they're probably, what in the fuck are we talking about on this podcast? This is some dark stuff, but look, I'm telling you, I see the fruits from this as, as dark as it may seem. I have seen the emails. I've gotten the emails. I have seen the other side where people have saved themselves because they realized it was okay. It was okay to not be okay, which is going to be my next episode after this one. It's okay that I've experienced all of this. I'm just a little bit, I'm a little bit, um, a little bit fucked up, but that's all right. And I still deserve to be here and I deserve a good life and I deserve good things to come. I just need some help. That's all it is. I got another one. It's going to be from a, from a cop. Hang on a second. It's definitely going to be a longer episode. Not something I'm accustomed to. But I'm not going to cut these stories short. I'm going to tell these stories. I got one, two, three, three more stories, including this one. Well, three with this one. This message was from a police officer. As you guys know, a lot, a lot of my uh, followers and supporters are military and um, emergency services. And I love it. I couldn't think of a better group of people to be associated with. When working as a cop, I responded to a shooting call in this dope house in my area. A young girl and her boyfriend were in this house buying weed when the dealer got robbed. Robbers shot this girl in the leg at close range with a shotgun. Her leg was gone. When we arrived, she was crying in the floor, asking why she couldn't feel her leg. More blood than can be described. This was around 2008, so before tourniquets had made it back to, to the civilian side. She bled out on that nasty crack house floor crying, saying she just wanted her dad. It has never left me. <clears throat> I don't know this person from anything. This is, this is another Instagram follower who I've never met. Who... Wanted to open up a little bit and share a little bit about that story. And the second I read that, it, it's it, again, it gives me chills because you know, I have daughters. And when you hear of a girl asking for her dad, I don't know if this if this gentleman has daughters. And if he does, I'm sure when he hears his daughter say dad and daddy, I guarantee you that triggers him in some way. And he has to manage his emotions. And whatever's going on inside of him and whatever's changing him in that moment. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but I know my triggers and I know my daughters set them off a lot. 
and I am responsible for my reaction. And sometimes as a dad, I fail. And sometimes I succeed. But every fucking time I try every time I tried to walk out of the house the other day when my daughters did something that triggered me, I tried to get out of the house and I couldn't get out fast enough before they did it again. And I, it lit me off and I turned into a fucking bomb and I went in there and I'm not proud of it, but I'm not perfect, but I'm transparent with you guys. And I went in there and I lit them up. And I talked to them in a way that when I walked out of there, I felt ashamed. I didn't curse at them, but I used a tone that I don't ever want to use with them again. And I thought about it and immediately I went to the excuses. Well, they did this. I told them not to blah, 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 blah. And right then I stopped myself and I said, stop being a pussy and own your shit. You lost control. That's on you. That's not those little girls fault. And it's true. I lost control. But that's what happens. I'm not a dude who has lived in a bubble his entire life and has never been exposed to shit. I'm a dude who has forever changed. And it's a constant battle that I fight inside of myself. And just like these first responders that have spoken out so far, it's a constant battle for them as well to constantly have to control their reactions to everything around them, things that might set them off. You never know when somebody's holding the flame to the fuse of the person they're talking to. And it's a bomb waiting to go off. Got another one I'm going to read to you. All right. This one's, um, this one's another drowning. And I just, I don't know if it's just because of the, uh, the experiences I had that, Normally, I wouldn't do two of the same, but I'm doing two of the same. Shit, it's my show. I produce it, right? This guy wrote, I'm a firefighter and paramedic for a small department in Ohio. We were dispatched to a local campground for a drowning, and when we got there, the kid was on the bank with a bystander with CPR in progress. We loaded the kid into our squad and took off for the uh, ER. The whole time... En route to the ER, I was working this kid, and I'm screaming in my head, damn it, not again. Which, think about that. Wait, you got to go to a call like this again? I mean, that's just this is just one call of this gentleman's career. This is just one. <laughs> and it looks like he's been to multiple ones like this. We got a pulse back shortly before we arrived at the ER. The kid lived for a couple of days and then died. I struggled with that call and I still do if I'm being honest. I feel like I lost the kid, though I fought like hell to save him. I know that feeling. I I know that feeling. I know what working a code, and a code is someone who is, uh, we're doing CPR on, okay, just for in layman's terms. I know what working a code is like. And sweating and you're dropping sweat all over somebody and you're in this hot shitty ambulance and you're flying down the fucking highway dodging cars and you're falling over and you and your partner can't stand up straight because you're the driver's hauling ass blowing red lights and, and, and all this and you're trying to work this code on the way to an ER and you get them back and then you lose them. I know that. 
It's not even the fact that the kid drowned. Think about all of that that I just described to you. Think about driving in traffic alone. Just uh, all right. Imagine that your spouse was that guy that had to work that code. And that picture I just painted, that's what it's like going down a highway at fucking 40, 55 miles an hour in the back of an ambulance trying to push on somebody's chest who you're trying to get back to life. And when it's a kid, it's fucking tougher. I mean, it is 10 times tougher. Now picture your spouse riding in a car with you and and you're making evasive movements in traffic or on the interstate and you're just moving over left and you're moving over right. It's simple things like that. Now open your eyes. Think about that. You don't know what this fucking guy is going through when you're shifting lanes. He could be in the back of that ambulance in his mind, flashing back, seeing this kid. They're intubating him. That means shoving a tube down his throat to help him breathe. And what if they miss the airway and there's vomit coming up when you intubate the stomach? That's what happens. If you've never seen that, it's disgusting. Their belly swells up and then vomit comes flying out of their face. And it covers you, it covers your partner, and you're sitting there doing compressions on somebody's chest with vomit everywhere in the back of his bus. Now now you're driving down the road, you're having an okay conversation, and all of a sudden it gets very eerily quiet. And it's like, what's wrong with you? And then immediately as a spouse, you would think, shit, what did I do now? When you didn't do anything, all you do is all you did is change fucking lanes. This is that. Imagine how hard it is being a father when you've been to calls like this and your kids just want to go swimming. Imagine that shit. You can't. If you've never been in a situation, you can't. We got a pool in our backyard, and I told my wife this before. I think I can count on one fucking finger how many times my kids have swam in that pool and I've actually lived in the moment and enjoyed it with them and not worried about anything because every time they're out there, I see a scene that I that, that replays in my mind that I was on years ago and it involves my kids in that pool and it is not pretty and then it involves my other child on the on the deck in the hot sun screaming. It involves my wife being there screaming, losing her mind. And it involves me not being able to do anything to bring my kid back. That's a day at the pool for us. Um, So I'm hoping this is helping. I mean, I'm hoping because nobody, nobody, nobody does this shit. Nobody talks about this, this shit, as we say. Nobody does it because it's too difficult to understand. You can't, you can't understand if you've never done this. And I'm trying to be at the forefront of this stuff. And I'm trying to help our first responder community, our emergency services, uh, our military, our spouses, our civilians with trauma who don't know how to communicate this stuff. I'm look, I just decided to open up about my shit. That's all I did because it helped me. And I saw when I did that, that it helped other people. When I started doing motivational speaking, which led me to this podcast. And now I'm like, wait, there's a different forum to do this on. Fuck you, COVID. You're not going to stop me from, from helping people. You're not going to stop me from trying to keep a gun out of some first responder's mouth because he feels or she feels like they don't have anywhere to turn. They don't have anybody that can understand them. Fuck that. Come here. We understand one another. We get it. Lean on me. If I can't hold you up, I'll fucking grab some support 
from around me and we'll, we'll fucking hold each other up. That's just how it works. I'm going to flip another page and I'm going to tell my last, the last story that I wanted to tell on this. This is, um, this is a tough one, man. It's, uh, it's not, it's hard to think about. I've never, I never experienced this. So me trying to tell this story is, um, just thank you for, you know who you are. Hang on. Thank you for trusting me with it. I can't say that enough because I getting to tell a piece of your story is, um, I don't even, I don't even have the words to describe it. So when I, when I put this out on Facebook or, uh, excuse me on, on, um, my story about getting help, this, this, if you want to tell your story to me and, and have me kind of talk about it, I'm kind of at a loss for words right now. If you can't tell, I'm, I'm trying to, 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 to train my mind for this because there are other, there are other people that have been in this situation, I believe. And then, um, that this has happened to, but it affects me differently because this is a woman. And again, as a father with kids, I mean, it's the one thing you want to do as a daddy. And the one thing I always tell my girls, I'm like, what's my job as your daddy. And they say to protect us. And that's it. If I fail at every fucking thing else, that's the one thing I want them to know. I'm here to protect you. And the shitty thing is that I know one day I won't be able to, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's outside of my hands. At some point I'm going to leave this earth at some point, you know, I can't, they can't be by my side at all times. They just can't. And that's, that's the sad part. I, Cause this is a fucked up planet with fucked up earth we live on, but there's many, many beautiful things. I don't want to paint it like it's this horrible, horrible place, but there, there's a lot of bad out there. And that's why I wish that I've, I, I was never exposed to a lot of the things I was exposed to, but then in the same breath, I say that, you know, I'm glad I had the experiences in life that I had because it made me who I am and it put me right where I need to be doing what I feel is my purpose. I'm going to try to read this to you. I, the story, there was so much to it that I just, I had to paraphrase it. Um, so this, this lady, she's a grown woman now, but she told me when she was 11 years old, she was molested by her neighbor. Um, she didn't get into the, into the details of, of what happened. And, and that doesn't, honestly, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter if it was, um, I mean, it does matter, but for the sake of this, I think we've said enough by a fucking neighbor molested an 11 year old girl that that should be enough. She said that, um, he held a gun to the back of her head and threatened her. Uh, 11 years old threatened her that if she told anybody, you, 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 you finish the rest of that in, in your mind. Well, let's just stop there. And let's just say this woman, she grows up and she, she has grown up. Okay. She's a grown woman. She's married now. Now imagine her never telling you that story as her spouse, because a lot of times it's, how do you, how you fucking tell somebody that? And then me, I'm a gun guy. I like guns. I like going shooting. What if I looked at her while we're dating and I was like, Hey, and I held my fucking pistol up and was like, you want to go shooting? I don't mean anything by that. Think where that immediately would send her. Now she's got to control her reaction to 
just like I spoke about earlier, to me. She's responsible for however she reacts to that. And her response to me can dictate how the rest of the conversation goes, which could send it into a, a awkward spiral and into an argument. I mean, it could immediately change her mood and she shut down and not want to have anything to do with me. I mean, these things happen. That's why this communication is, is, is so important. And, it, and it's, it's okay. Like I say, to not be okay. It's okay. If something happened to you, it's okay. You can talk about it. You can take that weight and use it to strengthen yourself, not to drag you the fuck down. I'm telling you. Um, she said, so I asked her, I said, well, what were, what were some of the triggers from that? And she said that she was afraid of male teachers from that point on. Think about that at 11 years old. She goes to school from 11 to 18. And if she had any male teachers, she potentially, it fucks up her education. Because while in class, she's worrying about that. She's flashing back to that moment, thinking about that, thinking about that man that took advantage of her. And now her schoolwork suffers for it. And later in life, I mean, I don't, I've never met this young lady. I don't know her, her situation outside of this, but what if something like that affected her? from getting the grades that she needed to get to go on to pursue other things she may have wanted to pursue at such a young age. This, I mean, trauma, I'm t- it is, it's, a, it's, it's a crazy animal. She said later, later in life, she was harassed by the owner of the company that she worked for. He came up and he grabbed her in the crotch and grabbed her in the breasts. And then she started questioning herself as a grown woman. She started questioning what she did wrong to warrant these things happening to her. And that aligns with survivor's guilt. So I, I can't speak about her situation, but I know what survivor's guilt is. I've lived with that my entire life or for a greater portion of my life. I should say, she said she doesn't leave the house much anymore because of the anxiety she has towards society. And I get it. And that's what we do. We shelter in place a lot of times trauma people because it's you don't want to be around what you know is out there because you now are unexposed or exposed to the public and you no longer have that bubble protecting you. Your bubble has been honestly has been burst. And the real world is out there slapping you in the face and you don't want any part of it. Trust me, I've been there too. Shit, I still live there. I have to make myself do things sometimes. Especially social gatherings. Boy, I don't like being around certain fucking people. But you know, I do it because I know it's helping me. And if I stay in a certain mindset for too long, that's how I'll become. And I'll stay that way. And eventually I'll just cocoon into my fucking tool shed and I'll never even see the light of day again. So that's why, even though I'm not comfortable in a lot of places, I still do it. I believe in being comfort. I think there's so much growth in comfort and I'm not afraid of it. And I 
Although I may not be comfortable, I'm not afraid. I still go because I guess I'm more afraid of not living my life the way I want. I'm more afraid of becoming a sheltered individual. I'm more afraid of not waking up every day and enjoying every minute that I have on this earth. So that's why I go do the uncomfortable. I stay in social social circles and social gatherings, not because I want to be there, but because I know if I, if I, over time, if I stop doing it, that's exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to be a lonely old man in my fucking tool shed losing my shit. And I don't want to be that. I'm going to be stronger for what has happened to me. And so should you. You know, I said earlier, use whatever's happened to you as a weight to make yourself stronger. And I say that from the stage when I, when I speak around the country, use that weight to make yourself stronger and empower other people. Don't let it drag you down. It's easy. It's easy to just sit down and not want to go do anything. The hardest part, honestly, is getting up and walking out that fucking door. You know, a lot of times I won't have, um, I won't have the answer for whatever it is I want to do today. And I rack my brain. Well, I need to do something. I need to do something. I need to do something. And if I sit there too long thinking about that without putting an action into place, without just getting up and leaving my whole day becomes that. And it's depressing. Then you end up sitting around the house and then you end up in your thoughts. And that's the worst place to be. So what I do to combat that is the second that I recognize that I'm doing that, I get dressed and I walk the fuck out the door. Keys in hand and I get in the car and I go. And I don't even know. Half time, I'll end up on the other side of the county walking through a park somewhere, exploring a place I've never been. Shit, I've went to Popeye's Chicken before just because it was something to do and to get out of the house. I don't know why the Popeye's reference, but like I say, I don't edit and I don't think about this stuff. Um, I hope this episode was informative. I think it was. It actually gave me chills. I'm going to read something out of my book real quick. I have a little bit of time left. I don't, I don't want you to hear pages, but I'm going to talk about one more thing with emergency responders. And you know what? I'm not even going to read it. I know the fucking story. (laughs) I'm going to talk about how just the adrenaline dumps from what we go through, how exhausting it is physically and mentally. And then you got to take all that shit home. That, that, uh, compound stress and trauma and take it home to be a normal, productive citizen. You ready? So one shift on Christmas Eve, we were working. And we had multiple calls throughout the day. It was, a, it, was a, it was a busy day. But at nighttime, that's when we want to rest, right? And I don't remember the time. Actually, the times are in my book. But we go to bed. And if you've never been asleep, going from a resting heart rate of whatever is normal to an extremely accelerated heart rate that is through the roof within a matter of seconds from a dead sleep like that, you don't know adrenaline. 
So when that bell goes off in the middle of the night, boom, you get rocked to go to a call and you run out within seconds. You're dressed, you're in your rig, you're hauling ass, light sirens, you're fucking going. And then within minutes or within seconds after that, your battalion chief comes over the radio and tells you that your unit is not needed to go ahead and return to quarters. So that's what we do. It's the middle of the night. We back our truck back in. You go back in the uh, the bunk room. You get back in the bed. It usually takes a while for that adrenaline to wear off so you can fall back asleep. Because we can't take sleeping pills to help us. We got to, you know, at work, we got to be ready to roll. And then it happens again right after you go back to sleep. Boom, you get rocked again. And then you're out the door. You're a little further this time down the road. And uh, chief calls back again. Return to quarters. You're not needed. God damn. This is on any given night. And then before you know it, you're back asleep and boom, you get hit again for a motor vehicle collision involving uh, two passengers, one which has been ejected and laying underneath live power lines. Like This is a story that's in my book that I talk about. This was on Christmas Eve one year. And when we when we arrived, the truck was um, the truck was there. Um, the guy that was driving was or either passenger. One of them it was sitting up next to the truck. They were he lied about. I think he was lying anyway, but. He was sitting there next to the truck, and uh, the the song "Every Rose Has Its Thorn" was playing, and I can't listen to that song today without flashing back to this this scene. And the truck was uh, the radio was blasting. Well, I look over, and there's a guy who'd been thrown out, and he was laying underneath live power lines. So my engineer and my lieutenant were on scene with us, and they started talking to the man who was sitting upright. And I immediately ran over to the guy that was under the power lines and I got on my belly and the power lines were literally like maybe a foot or two tops off the ground. And they were still live, very live. And, uh, my Lieutenant screaming at the top of his lungs at me to get out of there. And me hopped up on fucking adrenaline. I go up under there and I start dragging the guy out. Um, now this is dangerous because it, if my back would have touched them lines, it'd have been over. I mean, sayonara, there's, there's no coming back from that, but I get the guy out and, um, paramedics get there and they innovate him. This guy's teeth are all busted out and, uh, he's dead. He just, he dies, he dies right there. And, um, the moral of that story is you go from having those kind of nights mixed with trauma on top of it. It's not just the trauma, it's the adrenaline and the adrenaline dumps, and then the trauma, then you come back home. And now you got to deal with real life. You got to deal with bills. You got to deal with fucking, uh, if you have debt collectors calling you, you know, you got to deal with arguments at home. You got to deal with kids being sick. You got to deal with all these things. I don't know a stronger human being than I know emergency service workers and military people. Thank you for what you do. I'm so proud to call y'all my brothers and sisters. I just hope y'all stay safe. Hope you keep hope you keep winning at life and I hope you um, get the necessary help you need if you feel like something's going on with you and you need to help. I'm always right here. Come find me. Hope you'll have a great week. Till next time. I'm Travis House. 